Hello again, it's James, and this is Sunshine on Issues, reports from the State House in Tallahassee. I'm James Call, Capitol reporter for the Tallahassee Democrat and former Capitol Bureau Chief for the Florida Public Radio Network. And welcome to our weekly podcast. We've completed the third week of the legislative session. A framework for a budget is emerging, big differences in higher education funding and tourism promotion. We'll address those issues in the coming weeks as the 2018 session heads to a March deadline. But this week, we're talking about activism. We have a call to action by a grieving dad, talk to a child advocate who was abducted as a teen, and take a walk with Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith while he defends the progressive faction of the Democratic Party. It's Sunshine on Issues, reports from the State House in Tallahassee. Hello again, everyone. Three times in my life, I have met someone who left me completely odd, and it happened again this week. You remember Elizabeth Smart? It's a name seared in the minds of folks like me, people with children in their mid to late 20s. Smart was the 14-year-old stolen from her bedroom in 2002. Her humanity was stolen that night. She survived nine dark months in a hell only a demented mind could have created held captive in the woods behind her home, paraded through the streets of her hometown while it seemed the whole country searched for the little girl who had disappeared. Evil can be unimaginable, can't it? Elizabeth Smart was in Tallahassee this week as part of Children's Week. Her visit was sponsored by Scent Evidence K9, a security company specializing in scent ID. Surprisingly, canines lost Elizabeth scent across the street from her house that night. Whether or not the latest technology could have helped her then is unknown. The company concedes that. But canine research in the past decade has increased our understanding of dogs' abilities, and scent evidence owner is a former FBI agent. So, there you go. I talked to Elizabeth Smart before she addressed the children's cabinet and then again afterwards. She relives a nightmare regularly with the hope she is sounding an alarm that children need to be protected and those who are missing need to be found and given a second chance at life. Here's five minutes with Elizabeth Smart. The opening question was, when did you realize you were willing to talk about what had happened? My mom gave me some great advice the morning after I was rescued. She told me that what these people had done to me was terrible and that there weren't words strong to describe how how wicked and evil they were. They'd taken nine months of my life that I would never get back. But the best punishment I could ever give them was to be happy, was to move forward with my life, to do all the things that I wanted to do. Because by feeling sorry for myself and reliving it and holding on to the past, that only allowed them to steal more of my life away from me. And I don't think she meant, oh, just, you know, make up your mind and, you know, this will never bother you again. If only, if only it was that easy. I mean, I think she knew that it was going to be a process. I think she knew I'd have my good days and I'd have my bad days, but I think she always wanted me to keep happiness as my goal. I think she she didn't want me to ever give up on myself. And um she, you know, she encouraged me to get back into the things that I love like music and horseback riding and and be spending time with my family and and I I love 
I love the outdoors. So, I mean, my parents did everything they could to help me to get back into life, to enjoy life again. And yes, I certainly had my up days and my down days. And, you know, I, I think the moment that I really realized that my past didn't haunt me anymore, that it didn't control me anymore, was actually when I had to go to trial. I mean, it was eight years later, and I remember actually being nervous because I didn't know how I was going to react. I didn't know, because it was going to be the first time I was going to see Brian Mitchell since I'd been rescued. I hadn't seen him since then. It was it was eight years later, and I, I didn't know if I was going to clam up or, or how I would feel if I would just be immediately scared or if I would just shut down. I, I didn't know what to expect from myself and I remember going to the courthouse and I was sitting down and I remember seeing the court marshals walking Brian Mitchell into the courtroom shackled and handcuffed and I remember looking at him and realizing that he had no hold over me at all anymore, that he had no control, no say in my life, and that I wasn't scared of him anymore, that, that there wasn't anything he could do to hurt me ever again. And I think that's when I really realized that it was well and truly in my past, and, and it was after that that I really decided that, yes, I can speak about this publicly now, and that's when I decided to write my book, that's when I really decided to take on advocacy as a full-time role. So you experience closure? Is that closure when people talk about closure? The trial? I think the trial did bring a certain level of closure because for years it was, are we going to court? Are we going to trial? Do I have to testify? Oh, I don't have to testify. Oh, yes, you do. Oh, no, you don't. Oh, yes, I do. And so, yeah, I think it, I think it did bring a measure of closure. So what was your first uh, 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 act of advocacy? Yeah, I don't even remember. <laughs> Isn't that sad? Well... I mean, after I got home, I was involved with the Amber Alert, and that was almost immediately after I got home. So I guess that was my first act of advocacy. But when I really fully and truly kind of brought it on full-time into my life, I don't actually remember. <laughs> and it's so your message to other people who have suffered and endured uh, trauma? Every single one of us has a story every single one of us does and we shouldn't be comparing it to anyone else I can't tell you the number of times I've spoken and I've shared my story and someone comes up to me at the end and says well when I was 14 or when I was this or I was that I was raped although what I went through doesn't compare to what you went through and every time I hear doesn't compare I feel so sad because none of us should be comparing what we go through. I mean, what you go through is individual and unique to you, and what I go through is individual and unique to me. And even if we went through the exact same thing, it would still be different because we're different people. So we shouldn't be comparing and we shouldn't think, well, why am I not happy? Why am I not better? What they went through seems so much worse and I can't even handle this. I mean, that's only a recipe for self-defeat, for, you know, feeling bad about yourself and and you shouldn't be doing that we should all accept that we're different and that it's going to take a different length of time for each one of us to to recover when we experience something in our life 
Sunshine on Issues reports from the State House in Tallahassee. Hi, James Call, Tallahassee Democrat, Capital Reporter. Three years ago, I was doing a different job and did not notice the case of Anthony Branca. I met his dad this week and then I did some research and recognized Anthony from the ball fields of Tallahassee. He was 19 years old when he was run over by a distracted driver. Thursday, his dad, Demetrius, was at the Capitol as he continues his fight to make texting while driving as socially unacceptable as drunk driving. Here's Demetrius's call to action to Capitol spectators right before he went into a House Judiciary Committee meeting to talk about a texting proposal. Anthony was riding a motorcycle when he was hit from behind and killed. That vehicle ran into Anthony and then ran him over and then left him to die on the side of the road where he was mercifully pronounced dead after 30 minutes of agony by the EMTs who responded. Since that time, I've made it my mission to end distracted driving, and that's what I'm here to do today. There's no excuse for a secondary offense law. This is absurd. In 2006, two rocket scientists were killed in Utah. Utah changed their laws immediately. Last year, 13 elderly folks were killed in Texas. They changed their laws immediately. Is that what it's gonna take in Florida? I would like to shout out all the parents all the teachers, all the firefighters, all the EMTs, all the cops out there. I need you, I need you to join me for this revolution. I need you to speak up and speak out. I need you to talk to your legislators. I need you to talk to your families, your friends, your loved ones. Tell them that nothing they do on their phone is worth the risk. It is too late for Anthony. It is too late for many, many others. Many other stories that I've heard that break my heart. I have to go to sleep at night with images in my head that I do not want. So I'm here today to advocate for harsher distracted driving laws because that is what's going to save our kids, our friends, our families, and our parents. Thank you very much. Sunshine on Issues reports from the State House in Tallahassee. Have you ever talked to Representative Carlos Guillermo Smith? He cornered me right after the Capitol Press Corps skits Tuesday night. He wanted to know why the Press Corps didn't take any shots at him. He was all like, hello, don't I give you guys enough material to work with? He does. Smith is a progressive member of the Democratic Party. As you know, a group of Floridians that leave me completely befuddled. I mean, how do you have more registered voters than any other group and end up in super minority status in the Florida House. How do you pull that off? That's what I asked Smith after a committee meeting in the House office building. And off we were across the Capitol complex, a four minute walk in which Smith did not stop talking as we waded through a crowd in the rotunda, rode an elevator up to the snack bar for a cup of coffee, and then back down to the corridor and on to the Knot building. So without further ado, Here's a millennial's defense of the progressive faction of the Democratic Coalition, Orlando's representative, Carlos Guillermo Smith. You know, we're, we're in sync with the voters on a series of issues. We're going up on a series of issues. The question, to your point, about the reliability of the base, 
what our party in Florida in particular has to get our act together on is giving them candidates that they can believe in, giving them candidates and giving them something to vote for. It's been really, really hard for us to do that on the statewide level for many years because so, we've so, had a so. lot of, you know, just kind of squishy Democratic candidates who seemed kind of wishy-washy to, to, the, to the general electorate. And people, they really didn't respond well to that. They weren't really I'm that sorry. enthusiastic about it. They weren't that passionate about it. And I think what we saw in Virginia. You're saying, though, on the issues, you have majority support, but the candidates that you put forward do not generate enough votes to win the election. You have to believe in your position. You have to believe in your position and be apologetic, and voters of all stripes support that and they respect it because it's called authenticity and it's called courage and standing up for your values. That's what our candidates but, really but it, have but, to stand firm in doing. But, but, but Rather than running away from some of these, from some other issues as well, I think that that's really, really important. And what I so see happening of running away from issues, stand up for issues. Of course, you, of you, course, because the people are with you. Of course, but but, but but your candidates don't win. <laughs> well, the, but the reality is, is that we have to put up strong candidates who believe in the message. What I've been saying is that we've had for a while in Florida statewide candidates, for example who are squishy on the issues, who are afraid to stand up for a, a living wage of $15 per hour. They're afraid to say that they fully support recreational cannabis for adult use. They're afraid to say they support these things that are supported by broad swaths of the electorate. And I think that when you're bold with your policy positions, when you're unapologetic about them, when you don't hide from them, and you don't sound like a normal politician who's reading from a whole tested script, then people actually start to believe in what you're saying, they start to believe in you, and they get the enthusiasm that is required to drive voters out to the polls. Are you an X or a millennial? I'm a millennial. I just barely made it. I just barely made the cut. And here's what I see happening, what I hope will happen in Florida, uh, is similar to what happened in Virginia. It wasn't necessarily the top of the ticket in Virginia that pushed Democrats over the finish line. It was passion and enthusiasm that the base had for local candidates, for local candidates that really helped drive out the turnout and really helped push not only those local candidates over the finish line, but also the Democrats at the top of the ticket. I think we can see that with candidates like Ana Escamani in Orlando, candidates like myself, um, real uh, bold, unapologetic leaders who kind of drive a passion out of the base that we don't see normally with some of these more moderate statewide candidates that people feel wishy-washy about. That's our podcast for this week. It's a bit short, but we're still recovering from the 2018 flu. Sunshine on Issues, reports from the State House in Tallahassee, is produced by Ashley White for the Tallahassee Democrat and the USA Network Florida. You can rate us on SoundCloud and iTunes. It would help others find us. Please follow us on Twitter at Call Tallahassee. This is James Call, reminding you that the Tallahassee Democrat has been promoting democracy since 1906. We'll be back next week with another report, another podcast. And once again, thank you for your time. And until next week, my friends. <laughs>